What if I told you that you don't need a crystal ball to see the future? What if I told you that instead you could use data, but not just any data, the best data that there is, patent data. We're here with the man, the legend of patent data, Tony Trippi. And we're gonna talk about stuff you should know about IP. Tom, Tony, take it away. Ray, Ray, thank you. So yeah, we have Tony Trippi. And by the way, Tony and I have actually known each other for like 20 years or so, right? Since back in my IP.com days, and I think it was back in your P&G days, but um, we've known each other a while now. And, and I agree with Ray, you're the man, the myth, the legend about patent data, but tell us, can you actually predict the future with patents? Oh yeah, absolutely. I've done it a couple of times. Uh, it's uh, just like any other big data project that uh, once you start looking at indicators and once you start looking at trends, it's, it's easy to follow where these things are gonna go. And yeah, they can be very instructive. They can absolutely tell you where a field is headed uh, based on, on where it's already been. So tell us, tell us how, how do we do that? Okay, so let's, let's use an example, all right? So, so once upon a time, there was this company and it was called uh, Fitbit, okay? And now everybody knows Fitbit because you know once upon a time, all of us had, you know, right now we might have an Apple Watch or some other type of device, but we're wearing something right now that's monitoring us in a variety of different ways, counting our footsteps and so on and so forth. And one of the big ones that first came out in this was Fitbit. But they had this rival, all right? And this rival was called Jawbone, okay? And Jawbone actually was much better known for earpieces, okay? So a couple of us probably had those earpieces that we were listening to our phones on. We looked super cool because we had an earpiece. Yeah. And, and Jawbone versus Fitbit was a big deal. It was a really big deal. And around the same time, Apple was busy suing Samsung. So there was a lot of news about patents and patent litigation and the importance of patents and what did all this mean? And so as I'm looking at this as an analyst, I'm saying, you know what? This looks like the same type of situation as Apple and Samsung, where we're about to get into a situation that, that these two companies might end up suing each other. And these are two really small companies fighting against the likes of Nike and eventually against Apple and against these huge companies. And the best way for a small company to, to compete against the big companies to have a really great patent portfolio. And so I started to look very closely at each one of these companies and what their patent portfolio looked like. And I'll tell you what I found. I found Bupka. I found nonsense. I found garbage. I found a handful of documents with, with, that didn't cover very much at all. And, and, and these guys were just lambs going off to the slaughter. As soon as they got any sort of market share whatsoever, they were just gonna get murdered by these folks. And as I was looking at this, I was saying, you know what, you know what these guys really need to do? You know what both of these companies really need to do? They need to invest. They need to start buying some additional patent portfolios. They need to start bulking up because there's no way that they are going to be able to compete against somebody like Apple. And for that matter, this really looks like it's gonna come down to a battle between the two of them and it may end up being the patent litigation is gonna be what happens here. So while I'm looking at this, I thought, well, gee whiz, if I were them, what would I buy? What would I go out and look for as far as the, the type of patent portfolio that I really thought was gonna help me for the future? You know, how am I gonna take care of my company? How am I gonna uh, make sure that I can protect our revenue 
by making sure that I have a patent portfolio that's fit for purpose. Wait, wait, Tony, before you go yeah. on. Yeah. Are you, so you're just at the, the setup to this point is when you say they had Buckus, they had no patents. Okay. Relatively speaking, like Fitbit had 15 patent families. Okay. All in the US, none of them granted, all of them on a particular type of de device. So all With patent the, applications that were still pending. Exactly. And, published, and, published, but not granted yet. So they exactly. weren't actually patents yet. Exactly. They were just pending applications and very narrow. And that was oh, very, very narrow. Very yes. Okay. So, and that's important because when you talk about narrow patents, you know, sometimes you could have a very broad patent that covers a whole bunch of stuff. And sometimes you can have patents that are so narrow, they call them picture patents because they're good on your wall, but they don't actually enable you to enforce your rights. And you're saying there were a bunch of very narrow patents, maybe even some picture patents. Absolutely, especially on the Fitbit side. Jawbone okay. was a little bit better. Their attorneys had clearly taken some time to broaden out the scope of what they could potentially be getting. And they had a few grants and they had some coverage outside the US. Okay, so Fitbits, all of theirs were in the US. And once again, just so people who might not know this, a patent is only enforceable in the nation that grants the patent. So if you want protection in the US, you need a US patent. If you want protection in China, you need a Chinese patent. And you're saying that Fitbit, all of their patent applications were filed in the US and they didn't have anything that you saw that was outside of the US and they had nothing granted. Whereas Jawbone had both patent applications and a few granted patents and they had some more international coverage. Exactly. That, and that is, I think, a very nice summary of the key differences between them at the time, but both of them were far too small to be able to compete against somebody like an Apple or a Nike. And, and are you saying that because Apple and Nike had more patents or they're just so big that they'd eventually dominate you in the marketplace unless you have patents to slow them down? Both, but mostly the latter. Because the only way a small company is going to be able to compete in, in, in the market against a dominant market player is to be able to negotiate somehow or work out some sort of a partnership deal. And their key leverage to being able to do that is traditionally a patent portfolio. Yeah, because otherwise, if there's no patents, you can do anything, right? The world is wide open. The only thing that stops you from doing something is your capabilities in business, which are all the classic business things or intellectual property, namely patents. So you're saying that Fitbit and Jawbone were, Jawbone were way too small to compete head to head in all the classic ways that businesses compete with an Apple or a Nike. But if they could have the great equalizer, the patent, they could compete, but they didn't have enough. Exactly. And Fitbit didn't actually have any, technically. They didn't have any granted. Yes, absolutely. They, they, were, they were both in terrible, terrible shape. And the, the solution, my suggestion, what I thought they ought to do if they were, if I was working for them, if they were one of my clients, my solution was go on a buying spree. Go and buy some more patents. Go and bulk up your portfolio. And, and so as we, in this particular study, that's exactly what I then started to look at. If I were them, who would I buy? All right, and there's a couple of key indicators, but the bottom line was in this case, after I looked through everything, I thought, you know what? there's this company out there called Body Media. And I thought that the Body Media portfolio looked really great. It was old enough, so it had these earlier priority dates. 
And for those of you who, who are a little bit new to the field, that priority date is when your protection starts. And people can't invalidate your patent unless they find something that happened before that priority date. So the earlier priority date, the, the higher the likelihood that your patent is gonna stand up to litigation because there's not very much prior art out there that's gonna be able to invalidate it. So I'm looking for, for something like that. I'm looking for something that's highly cited. We have this idea of forward citations in patent documents. And, and usually when somebody cites another group's patent, it means that they, they have an interest in it. They found that it was innovative or useful. And so highly cited patents are inherently more influential and more valuable than ones that have never been cited before. And as I'm doing all of this work, as I'm looking for all these different criteria that I'm looking at, body media jumps out. I mean, just literally jumps out of the analysis that I'm doing and screams at me that this is the portfolio that, that you want to buy. Okay, so, so you're doing this though all in your head. You're not actually working for either of these two companies at the time. That's you're, correct. If I did, this would be great. Oh, yes. And I have done this for clients. So don't get me wrong. I'm using Yeah, because you actually do this, right? Tony, oh, yeah. I mean, the client will come to you and say, hey, we need to bulk up our patent portfolio. What do you oh. recommend? And then you'll do your magic and figure out what companies are out there that have patents that could be useful to their portfolio. And oh, by the way, Tony, one other quick question before we go on. Yeah. You know, somebody might think that why would there be more than one patent in the industry of Jawbone or, or uh, Fitbit? I mean, isn't there just, I mean, once you have a patent, don't you cover the whole product? Like, why would there be more than one? Yeah, you know, that's great. And, and, and because there's a, a couple of different ways to answer that. First off, if you take a look at something like a, a uh, personal fitness monitor, all right, there are dozens. It's a little bit like a cell phone. It's not, not nearly as complicated, but a similar type of situation. There are literally dozens of individual inventions that go into making up that device. There's the, the molding, the overmolding that, that, that keeps the sweat out of it. There's the circuit boards. There's the communications. There's uh, applications for um, counting stairs or measuring heartbeat, or there's all the diagnostics. There's, there's all the communication with regards to transmitting that data to a device. There's the use of that data <laughs> for various health-related instances. There are literally dozens of different individual inventions that go into this one product. So, so a single patent isn't going to cover that. Yeah, so, so what you can do though, because patents give you the right to prevent other people from making and selling the features at the patented features and functions of a product. So you're saying that if Fitbit or Jawbone had more patents, they could prevent the other party from adding features or functions if they're patented that the customers might want and give them an advantage in the marketplace. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Let me give you one quick example of where that happened. There was a company out there once called, they're still out there, they still sell it, Allure Energy. Allure Energy arguably invented the smart thermostat, okay? They wrote this enormous patent application, hundreds and hundreds of pages, covered every possible aspect of a smart uh, thermostat. And what they did is, is the day after Nest uh, went ahead and, and, and had a press release on what features was go were going to be in the Nest thermostat, the very next week, Allure filed a new patent application that covered every single one of those features in each individual claim. They 
put it through accelerated examination, got it granted the day after they sued. Uh, Nest had since been acquired by Google. Google has settled with Allure. And so the, the amount wasn't disclosed, but Allure got a very big check, I'm guessing, from Google because of what they did putting together their patent portfolio to DBM with. Now, just so that we're clear, you know, again, I don't know how much how much people that are watching know about patents, but you're not saying that that Allure, upon seeing the press release, thought, wow, those are good ideas. We think we'll file patent applications because you can't do that. You have to actually be the inventor, right? So you're saying that they had already developed those things before the press release came out and had priority in terms of invention. And now that's changed a little bit to filing, but that's what you mean, right? They actually had invented it and just hadn't filed yet. Oh, they, it was all in their specification. It was all in their original document. Every gotcha. possible permutation. They wrote new claims. Gotcha. And that's exactly, so exactly. So they had anticipated that this was going to happen. They anticipated. And that's what's really key to building a powerful patent portfolio is to not just think about what do I need today, but where could this go tomorrow? And when, they, when you see and not those- not just what's in your product today. Yeah. Yeah, not exactly. just what's in your product that you're going to market with, but what might other people go to market with? Or how else could it be applied? Yeah. What could the invention also be useful? What other vertical are you talking about? So, so in yeah. this case, though, with Jawbone and Fitbit, you had some great ideas. And if either had hired you to acquire the portfolio you suggested, it would have not just given them an advantage vis-a-vis -vis one another, but really more importantly, as compared with Apple and Nike downstream. Absolutely. Because yeah. this body media portfolio was not only early, but it covered some of the key aspects of what you'd expect or what a consumer might expect in this sort of device. Now the punchline- Yeah, that's what I wanted to get to. What happened? Yeah, I'm on the, the edge of my seat. Jawbone, Fitbit. What happened Right? <laughs> literally, literally two weeks after I published these findings, after I shared them uh, initially, uh, there was an article in, in Gadget and there was an announcement that was made that uh, Jawbone had bought Body Media for $10 million. Wait, after you had published it? Yes. On your own uh, newsletter? Yes. Wait, wait. wait. So I predicted it. You think your publication drove that decision? Oh, absolutely not. No, no, no. Okay, okay. so. I was going to say, wow, made... that would have been something else. But you're saying that you essentially predicted what was going to happen with one of these two companies. One of these two companies was going to buy Body Media. Yes, that is exactly what my contention was. And that and sure it much, exactly. Yes, it, it absolutely happened. It's documented. I have lots of people who have seen the original work. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was teaching a workshop going through this example when when I when one of the students said, Well, did you know that body media was purchased by Jawbone? I'm like, get the hell out of here. You know, shut the front door. You're kidding me, right? And they're like, no. And so I like rushed back to my hotel that evening and I looked it up. I'm like, holy crap. I can't, I, that's, that's so cool. amazing that you didn't even know while you were teaching it that that happened. Yes, it happened. It, that was what I mean. After I presented it, then a few months go by. I'm using the case study for something else. And a student of mine tells me uh, that, that this happened. And, and so, but, but again, I, 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 you know, I had this other client I was working for. I said, hey, look, they specifically hired me to find partners. That was the, the specific element of this project. 
find us people to partner with. We're a mid-sized player. We want to be a big player. We know we're up against the gargantuan player. Help us find somebody to help us compete. And I suggested two companies. And within six months, their big competitor bought them both. See, you know, what I like about this story, the first, the body media story is, if you were an investor, a savvy investor, and you had this information, which would be public information, it's not insider information, you yeah. just know that their portfolio makes them a fantastic acquisition target. That would be a company to invest in. I mean, I don't know if body media was public. I don't know if you could have invested, but the concept is you can use patent information to justify stock acquisitions at, of you know small companies that look like they're right. You know, in light of everything Tony Trippi knows about what's happening in the marketplace, this company is going to be acquired. Yes, that 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 that, that happens that, right? all the time. And, and 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 you know, speaking of which, I mean, we were we were think we were also going to talk about the quantum computing report. Yes, yes, and 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 that's a very that's happening there. All right, so we're we're getting. The, the original quantum computing report was published a year, two years ago, about to do another update to it. And it's one of those things that I picked that topic because I could actually make some predictions there and stand a good chance of being in front of the market. You know, that, that, that the market wasn't mature enough yet. It really is starting to take off, but hadn't taken off yet. So that anything that I might say or suggest about where it was headed had yet to happen. And so you're not using hindsight. That's that's you know pretty straightforward. This is really forward thinking, forward looking as to what could happen. And to give you an example, in that particular field, there's this company called PsyQuantum. Okay, and and PsyQuantum just they 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 did another funding round, and and they I want to make sure I got the number right here. Yeah, they raised they've raised 230 million dollars. Uh, as a as a small quantum computing startup, okay, and, and the darling of the field is a company called Rigetti, and they've really only raised about seventy five million. And the amazing thing about PsyQuantum is that PsyQuantum has an enormous patent portfolio for their size. I mean, literally, just if you compare Rigetti again, another comparable type company, they have something on the order of three times as many patents as Rigetti, which is the, the, the media darling. It's been written up in Technology Review. And it's been, you know, everybody is talking. Um, Chad Rigetti, the, the founder's name, used to be the key quantum scientist at IBM. <laughs> and IBM is the, the, the 900 pound gorilla in that particular field. Uh, but it yeah. became pretty clear looking at their patent portfolio that, that this is a company uh, and Microsoft ended up being one of the investors, even though they've got their own quantum program. And, and, and they went in again, it's one of the largest uh, early stage funding rounds ever, much less, and it's certainly the biggest one in quantum computing. Yeah. And it's all based on the fact that they've got this, this great technology and they are, you know, to quote Steve Jobs, they're patenting the shit out of it. Wow. So, so, your, so your thoughts would be, um, Cygentum, is that what you're calling it? Cygentum? Oh, it's Cyquantum. Or Cyquantum. They yeah. are a good acquisition target. Absolutely. And also, Rigetti's a good acquisition target, but they're well-known. The more, the one that's more secretive, not secretive, but less known, less appreciated is Cyquantum. 
And that's one that if they happen to be public, that would be a good one to buy some stock in based upon the Tony Trippiemitz view of the world. Yes, absolutely. There's absolutely no doubt about it that, that there's a correlation between patent portfolio development and, and looking at patent portfolios uh, by a variety of different metrics and, and the likelihood that that company is going to be uh, traded at a higher value. Yeah, uh, Ray, I think my connection might be breaking up. Yeah, I think bit. you might have a bit of a delay. Um, yeah. Yeah, Tom is definitely on a delay. I don't want to ruin our podcast. So, Ray, carry it along. Yeah, well, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious that uh, if you can talk a little bit about, um, I mean, you kind of already touched on it, but other than, other than, buying, uh, then, then making acquisitions, what are some ways that companies can use this, can use, can analyze patent data to make decisions within their company? I mean, the only thing that, that my non-IP expert brain can think of would be investing in new technology. Um, uh, so, but what does it mean to, to use patent analytics for institutional decision-making, let's just say? Yeah. So, for instance, what you what you were just talking about, companies do this all the time, in the sense that that one of the things that, that big companies are always concerned about is, is disruptive technologies. They're going to be Amazonized, as it were, and and so, in most industries, keeping track of new technology developments is a great way to make sure that you're always on the bleeding edge as far as technology developments. That are going to lead to customer value. And so big companies are always looking for how is it that we can deliver a better customer experience through the implementation of technology. And patents are a great way to do that and to find partners and to make sure that you're always on the bleeding edge. But another thing that, that companies do frequently, and, and I get asked to do this all the time, is they use this for competitive intelligence. And so when I was working at Procter & Gamble, for instance, we scrutinized and I mean scrutinized everything that L'Oreal published, okay? Because P&G has a lot of different segments, their health and beauty segment, for instance, L'Oreal is a huge competitor and L'Oreal would get tricky, for instance, and they'd only publish things in French. So the initial stuff that would come out would only be in French. So if you weren't looking at the French patent office and if you couldn't read French, well, you had a hard time understanding what they were doing. But P&G intentionally hired people and knew to go look at those sources and to read France, uh, French in order to be able to pick that up. Uh, and again, most of my clients have some type of competitive intelligence program where again, with Procter & Gamble, they're always very interested in what Unilever was doing, always very interested in what Kimberly Clark was doing, always very interested in, in any of the other food companies that they might've been competing against when they owned the Pringles brand and the Sunny Delight brand and the Folgers coffee brand, all of these individual areas have a technology focus associated with them. And, and by examining the patents that come out, we do Nestle. That's another big example, another great example. Nestle is one of the, the world's most prolific patent filers. They, 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 and they cover an enormous number of different health and wellness, infant formula, chocolate, uh, sauces, all types of different foodstuffs. And anybody who works in the field of, of, of consumer products 
especially consumer packaged goods uh, that have anything to do with the food industry has to be paying attention to what Nestle is doing and, and, and needs to be seriously looking at the amount of money they spend on R&D. And you can directly reflect the amount of money spent on R&D to the number of patents that get filed and get a really good idea of where they might be heading as far as new technology developments, new consumer products by looking at the patents. So you look at patents and if, you, if you're smart about it, you can predict what products will be coming out downstream. Absolutely. You, and, and you can even justify it to the degree that you can say, okay, we're going to look back five years ago. All right. And this is what they were patenting. And then jump ahead two and a half years, say from there, three years from that point and say, how many of those things actually became new products? And that allows you to then say, okay, well, this is what they published yesterday. And what is the likelihood based on everything that we know, everything we studied up to that point, that this is going to be a marketed product another 18 months from now. Now, there's one issue, and that's the lag, right? Tell us a little bit about that problem. Yeah, and, and not to get too far into the weeds, you know, too much inside baseball, but patent publications uh, come out 18 months after they're originally filed. Okay, so that's what this lag is that everybody talks about. So if you're talking about a technology field that moves very, very rapidly, and there are uh, the idea of an, a, a blank sheet invention to a marketed product, is gonna take less than say 18 months or a year. Patents aren't a good indicator because of course, you know they've got an 18 month publication lag. But most technologies don't move that fast. Pharmaceuticals, consumer goods, uh, a lot of these things take more like three to five years to go from a blank sheet invention to the time when it actually shows up in front of a customer. And when you've got a, a, a window that, that's, that, that is that large, then patents are great because halfway through, or about a third of the way through to that window, you've got an idea what's coming. And that gives you enough time to have a strategy to compete. So I, I gotta ask the, the obvious question, and maybe it's obvious, maybe it's not. What are some of your predictions? I mean, you're in this world, right? You, know, you must have some cool, exciting predictions uh, about some of the technology that we're gonna see in the coming years. Um, and maybe quantum computing is one of them, but because um, that's a really fascinating space just on its own. But well, what do you what do you say to that? Or or maybe not. Maybe you don't. Maybe you want to keep them secret. No, you know, I, I'm I'm actually pretty open about some of this. Now, of course, the, the majority of it I can't talk about because I I do this for my clients, so that that that's why they they hire me to do work like this so they can take it to get an advantage of this type. Um, but in the quantum computing field in particular, there, there's a company that people don't talk about very much. I mentioned them uh, last year. Uh, from what I can tell from the, the new update that I'm doing, there's still a major player that nobody talks about, and that's Northrop Grumman. And so my, my key keep an eye on is, is Northrop Grumman, uh, I think. And, and, and it would also be Intel. When I first did the report, I thought it's really interesting that, that there's really not much here from Intel. There's only some inklings. Well, now Intel's jumped into the top 10. Um, and so Intel is, is, is also killing it. So, you know, those are things that, that, that uh, I, I thought were interesting and, and are starting to bear out. It wouldn't shock me at some point to hear about a major partnership between Northrop Grumman and one of the established players at some point, maybe a D-Wave for instance. Along those same lines, there's, there's lots of different ways to generate a qubit. 
to make a quantum computer. And there's this one really kind of wild idea that could totally revolutionize the idea of the size and the temperatures at which a quantum computer is run. And, and Microsoft seems to be the leading company uh, with, with the technology. And they've got dozens of patents on this speculative technology that if, if, the, if the science actually uh, ends up working out, and there's a ton of different academic research facilities that are working on this approach, if they can crack it, they've got, they've got leverage, they've got coverage, they're gonna corner the market on this mechanism for generating a quantum computer. And, and they're gonna leap out in front of everybody else, even though they're, they're already an established leader. Uh, so, so things like that, I, I think happen all the time. There's also this, this idea that, that um, uh, the Chinese, a lot of people were interested in the quantum computing report because of the discussion of, of the Chinese. And it's very clear from the research that Asian companies uh, are very, are all about taking advantage of the device itself. And it's the North American and Canadian companies that have been about uh, developing the device. So there's this idea of the difference between building a quantum computer and using a quantum computer. And the US is beginning to accelerate. There's a handful of companies that are working in the quantum software field that are making huge strides and doing some really exciting research. But the Chinese and the Japanese have been doing it for the last five to 10 years. They have a huge head start on us in that capacity. And so as these products become commercialized, these devices become available, the Chinese and the Japanese are already way ahead of us in being able to corner the use of them. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so that's a real concern. Uh, so much so that actually uh, one of my clients, I, I can't really talk about the details of the project, but I was in fact hired by the US government uh, to look at this area and to make some, some very specific comparisons between the Chinese efforts and the US efforts uh, in this from a national security perspective. So just in case anyone out there doesn't know, which I certainly didn't before we met, what is so significant about quantum computers that makes this so interesting? Because I'm listening to your, you know, your predictions here and I'm thinking this is fascinating because I have a, like a very fleeting idea of what a quantum computer actually is. But if you could explain it just, you know, at, at a, to, to a, as though I, as though you were talking to a small child, um, then and then I can understand it because um, it, it's really fascinating the, the the capacity of these machines. Yeah, I, I mean the very simplest explanation, without getting into any of the technology that's involved, is that for some computing tasks, a quantum computer can solve an equation or, or solve a problem in a few hours. That would take a a huge network of supercomputers literally hundreds of years to do that same calculation. And where this primarily comes, there's lots of different applications, but the one that everyone's most concerned about is cybersecurity. These 128-bit encrypted uh, messages that are currently the standard for cybersecurity, theoretically, a quantum computer could crack one of those in a couple of hours, uh, as opposed to today, it's, it's generally uh, agreed upon that that conventional supercomputers would take hundreds of years to be able to crack that same message. And so wow. that's, the, that, that's the real, you know, we get right down to it. Uh, again, there's lots of other applications for uh, chemistry and, and, and molecular modeling and uh, various other uh, types of multi, multiple body uh, problems, but that's the one that everybody is focusing on. And communication as well, being able to encrypt the message 
and deliver it from a satellite and, and, and create a message that nobody can crack. Yeah. So even if it's intercepted along the way, it can't be decoded because it's quantum encrypted. Well, Ray, that sounds fascinating. I think Tony is the guy if we ever want to do any patent analysis and anyone else who wants to do patent analysis. But we should probably wrap up because we're yeah. at about 30 minutes now. Yeah, no, this this was really fascinating, Tony. I, I appreciate you taking the time to come here and talk to us about uh, IP analytics and patent data and how you can use it to essentially have a, a crystal ball uh, into the future. Um, so if anyone out there is watching and you thought this was an exciting and interesting topic related to IP, please subscribe to us on YouTube, hit the like button, share, comment on LinkedIn, wherever you're watching. And um, I guess I should take this opportunity to also mention that probably by the time you are all watching and listening to this, we're also on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and a handful of other, uh, pretty much any of your favorite podcast listening platforms. You can find us there now too. Um, so yeah, please spread the word and, um, and yeah, thanks everyone. Thanks guys, pleasure being here with you.